Our scripture lesson today comes from the good news, the gospel according to John chapter 17. Uh, It sits right in the middle, uh, right after all of Jesus' teaching and right before he is arrested and goes to the cross. Let's share in God's good word for us today together. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, one church, we are in uh, in this one series. Uh, Next week, we're going to look that one is actually greater than 99. We're going to look at the wonderful gospel story in Luke 15. But before we get there, uh, we are looking at one God and now one calling and today one church. And of course, we choose this because our extension campus has just launched just about an hour ago. Uh, They're almost done with the very first worship service over there fully, uh, and it's going great. So we're so excited for Andy and his team. But we are one church, one church. Uh, Many of the folks that are here are over there. They'll be back over there, over here. Uh, Some people are going to both. Some people uh, will see us on Wednesday nights. Uh, But the important thing is that we're one church, one heart, one mind, one body, um, one Lord of us all. Uh, And I think it's such an important and appropriate time. We chose this series months ago, uh, and it didn't really even dawn on us that uh, the inauguration was going to be on Friday. Um, we had this planned out, well, but it's sort of serendipitous, if you will, like, well, maybe we should talk about unity this week. P- perhaps that's a good idea. Maybe the Lord planned this out for us. And I, I don't know about you, but for me as your pastor, um, it, it's a difficult time to speak to a large group of people. Uh, heck, it's a, it's a tough time to speak to three people um, and, and hope that people aren't at each other's throats. Uh, about this, that, or the other. Our, our culture has changed dramatically from the 70s where the majority of Americans uh, were in this sort of middle-moderate position, and certainly from uh, the 1980s to 2014, uh, that sort of peak, if you will, actually of the middle um, with the conservatives on the right and liberals on the left has actually shifted to where it's, it's more polarized now than it's ever been before. And, and this is important to recognize because you may think, well, you know, it's always bad, but it seems like it's worse than ever before. It is. It is. In our lifetime, um, when I was a a little kid, uh, Jimmy Carter came into office, hadn't done a thing, didn't know whether he'd be good or bad or what, but nearly 80% of Americans were like, well, we'll give it a shot. We'll see how he does. Republicans, Democrats alike, people that say, well, we we don't know. He's a peanut farmer from Georgia, but, you know, hey, might be great, might be horrible. We don't know. We'll give him a shot. And, and so that's, that's the way it was. When I, when I was little, that's, that's how, how I understood the country to be. And, and pretty much every year since, it's, it's gone down to where now Trump enters office with only 40% of the people in the country thinking that, that he's, he's going to be okay. Uh, approval rating. Regardless of how they feel about that on, on either side, that, that's a hard place to be as a country. That's a hard place to be. And, and, and not only that, but I, I want to sort of expand this globally because this isn't just a, an Acts 2 conversation or one church conversation. This is about the whole world. And, and, and how do we learn to live with one another? What does Jesus teach us about this? And my natural inclination, friends, as I go on Facebook or Twitter or uh, any kind of social media, Instagram, uh, I came across this from Jim Gaffigan yesterday, and, and I feel like him. He says, I'm thinking of retiring from all human interaction. Like, I'm just out. Right? Uh, because, uh, you know, and, and I want you to know it breaks my heart. I mean, I'm really sad uh, when I get on and, and I see one of my conservative friends just attack my liberal friends. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And, and sometimes they're in the same church, they're in our church even. And, and, and calling each other names. And, and then, then, I'll, then I'll, you know, read one of my liberal friends' posts. 
uh, and, and they're attacking my conservative friends. And it just, it breaks my heart. And I know this is not what the Lord wants. I feel like Jim Gaffigan. You know, back in the 1950s, we had porches on the front of our, of our houses. Uh, today, we have garages uh, that close. Uh, it used to be that you would grill on your front yard, and your neighbors would come by, and you would visit with kind of whoever came by in your neighborhood. Today, where are your grills? In the backyard, to where nobody can get to you. It's your little island where only you and your nuclear family can play unless you invite them into the gate. There's, there's no sort of this crossing by with your community. I feel like Jim Gaffigan. I'm, I'm thinking retiring from all human action, and it comes naturally these days, and our culture is actually suited to make that happen, where you don't have to think about anything other than what you want to think about, and you can find the people to reinforce your opinion of whatever that is, right or wrong. You can just become so isolated. And we're seeing this particularly in young people with higher uh, levels of depression um, and anxiety because they simply aren't having any sort of cross-pollination with any other kind of healthy folks. It it is just becoming so polarized that it's actually crippling us mental health-wise as well. That's not what Christ has for us. While this may be our natural inclination to just, you know, isolate and go away and, and, and say, no, no, I can't take this anymore, that's not what Jesus would have us do. And so if you have your sermon notes, I want you to take those out with me and and see this context. Jesus' character is living in and through us. And it's in his very last supper. It's the final scene of the last supper where we find this John 17 piece. And he is allowing us to, to see and peek in on this incredibly intimate conversation that he's having with God the Father. And, and it sits right in the middle of the entire story of Jesus' life. In, in chapters 14, 15, and 16, we see Jesus' major teaching ministry. And then in 17, you have the Last Supper, uh, which Reverend Andy calls the most awkward dinner ever. I mean, think about that, right? I mean, very awkward. Uh, nobody does the thing they're supposed to do. So Jesus takes off his clothes, wraps a towel around his waist, and starts washing feet of all things. The Lord of the universe washing feet. You know, Judas leaves. They're arguing, and then Jesus gets up, stands away from them, and rather than talking to them in first person, he talks to the disciples in third person, he talks to God in first person. And the disciples and we get to overhear this conversation. And so in John 14, leading up to this, right, he he is talking about his ministry, and then after this event, he's going to be arrested, tried, and crucified, and of course resurrected. So in John 14, Jesus says these sorts of things. Friends, there's plenty of room in, in my father's house. And, and if it weren't so, I, I w- would I tell you that I go to prepare a place for you? No, of course not. There's room for you. There's room for everyone in God's house. Come on. And then Philip's like, I don't understand, Lord. How, what are you talking about? And he says, Philip, to see me is to see Father God himself. If you see me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. And it's my prayer that you would be one like that. You see, Jesus never did his own will. Jesus didn't do his own thing. He was obedient perfectly to the will of the Father. Whatever God the Father wanted, Jesus lived out beautifully through the power of the Holy Spirit. All three, one. And so to the disciples, he says, don't worry, friends. I'm sending you a friend, the Holy Spirit, to guide and empower you in all truth. And so in in John 15, uh, he, he goes on and he says, I am the vine and you are branches of mine. And you'll notice that, that when you're tied to the vine, good fruit happens. It, it's not sort of this huge gutting it out effort thing. No, it naturally happens. When you're attached to the vine, fruit happens. You look at the fruit in your life. And, and, and conversely, Jesus says, because this is true, apart from me, you can do nothing. And friends, this isn't Jesus being judgmental or mean-spirited. He's just simply saying it is the case. You snap off a twig and you lay it in the yard, no fruit. Don't expect any. 
That's the way it is. And so as we're connected to Christ and Christ is connected to God the Father, then fruit happens out and to and through the world. So he says this, this is my command. Love one another the way I loved you. What's the command? Say it with me. Love one another the way I loved you. Well, what would that love look like? Self-sacrifice. It looks like laying down his life for his friends, for the world, for you, and for me. That's what love looks like. And then... And so this is all the teaching. And then you have this you know, last meal right in the middle. And on the other end, in John 18, Jesus is arrested. That's your blank there. He's interrogated by Annas first, then Caiaphas, then Pilate. And he's beaten, he's whipped, he's mocked, he's spat upon. They actually had, had gotten this flogging down to a torturous art where they knew if they flogged a man 40 times with a whip and pulled out pieces of his flesh that it would kill him. And so they went 40 lashes minus one to keep you right on the edge of death. And the next day they crucified him after torturing him the night before. This is the other side of John 17. So in between John 14 and 16 and 18 to 20 is this most awkward dinner ever, where Jesus changes the entire liturgy, the things that were supposed to be said at this meal about the freedom that God brings through the sea, through Moses, Jesus changed. And he said, this is my body. This is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And the, blew the disciples' mind. What was he talking about? What was he saying? You're not allowed to mess with the words of Moses as they were getting ready to lead to the promised land. And Jesus was changing the covenant that would include you and me, not just for one people at one time, but for all people for all time. And it's in this context that Jesus steps aside from the table, looks up to the Father, and starts to have a conversation in first person. Jesus is addressing the core human problem of all of us, and that is the problem of loneliness. This question of where do I belong? You see, we're all alone, we're all afraid, and we need a place to belong. We just do. In Genesis, he says, it's not good for man or woman to be alone. We're meant to be in community together, but if we're not careful, we can make that community much smaller than God intended. When I was a sophomore, uh, Dad was serving as the first United Methodist Church in Guthrie as a senior pastor there. The bishop needed him to move to Fairview, Oklahoma, so we did. My sister had gone to college. Uh, I was sort of an only child for the first time, and, and we moved out to Fairview. Now, at Fairview, um, I, I moved into a graduating class of 54, 50 of which started kindergarten together. So when I say the four of us were outside, I mean we were way outside. And I needed a place to belong. I was lonely. And so uh, one of the things that helps combat that is you join a, a, a sports team. So I, I was on the football team. And so uh, here I am. I'm number 61. You see that huge guy playing the line. Um, and Eddie England and Tim Ross and Casey Pond and Gary Sanifer were all in the wheat truck. And uh, it was great. And, and the thing is, you know, we're, we're talking about being seniors and how awesome it is. And I found my group. You know, something always happened weird when, when we would be talking is that, Sooner or later, the, the conversation would kind of come down to, yeah, this is fun, and we are really cool. I'm really glad we're not those band nerds. You know, because those band kids, they're not in our group. They're not, they're not strong. They're not lifting weights. They're, you know, they're, they're the band kids. The only problem with that was uh, I was a band kid as well. I played the trombone. Me and this other guy who played trumpet back here, we're the two weird ones. Uh, you have to hop out of the truck, run back in the parade line, and play your instrument. That's what you had to do in a small town. Uh, and so, uh, you know, there I'm still number 61. Now I'm in the band. 
And, and this was great. You know, we would go and we'd travel all over. Huge band, like 200 kids for a tiny little town like that. It was amazing. And, and we were really good and we made ones. And then the conversation would be really strange because we'd be coming back and be like, yeah, you know, really it's great to be a band kid. We're not like those dumb football players. I'm like, I'm, I'm wearing the uniform. Come on, I'm right here. And then, you know, but you know what we could agree on? At least we weren't the drama kids. I mean, you know, drama kids. Whoa, oh my gosh. Except I was in uh, humorous duets and dramatic duets, and I would do that on, on Saturdays after the football games on Fridays, and, and we'd be riding on the bus, and, and you know what, what they would say is, well, you know, we're not those band kids, and we're not those stupid football players. Uh, you know, we're not the athletes. Um, but you know what we could all agree on? At least we're not those debate kids. And I'm like, but I do debate. I, I do Lincoln-Douglas debate, and, and you know, like I do, I'm right here. You, know, you guys know that I do this. And, and so I'd be with my very, now we're down to a very small pool, and the, and the Lincoln-Douglas people, you know, where you stand up and you present like Abraham Lincoln uh, would do, and it was great. And you know what we'd say? Well, at least we're not those cross-sex weirdos. Because cross-examination, you had two people. It took a lot more research, and it was it's much more in-depth. You see how this works. It gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until you're by yourself. You're isolated. And you say, well, you know, of course, I mean, that's kids. That's high school. That, that happens. We've all seen Breakfast Club. Move on. Problem is, right, that we don't. In Oklahoma City, if you go to race.map.com, you can do this anywhere in America. They, they've plotted this out. You can find your own home and your own race. Uh, in, in Oklahoma City, uh, the white folks live in the village. Black folks live over by MLK. And the Hispanics all live right there, you know, south of I-40. As adults. We choose it. Right? More and more, we, we don't even live by, go to school with, work with anyone that looks, thinks, or acts any differently than we do. We can figure this stuff out. Hey, you see how segregated this is. Right? White folks in the blue, black folks in the green, Hispanic folks in the yellow. Now, of course, you know, we, that would never be like that in Edmond, right? I mean, we go up to Edmond. Well, it's just all white, right? All right, a dot here and there. You can find your own house. You can go, it'll, it'll map it out, you know, who's where. And, and, and like I said, you know, used to, uh, in the 50s, there would be some cross-pollination with the people in your community, but not so much anymore. Even if you do wind up having somebody different than you within a mile or two, you may not ever see them. And what this does is it breaks down community. It breaks down our love for one another. It breeds fear and loneliness. Because the truth about us, of course, is that we are afraid to be alone. We are afraid, but we don't know what to do about it. And, and I love the way Stephen Ministries puts it. It says, people are afraid of what happens after the phone call that you hoped you would never get. We need a place to belong. We are afraid after the divorce papers are served that the bottom falls out of your life. We need a place to, to belong and to, and to step into. We need a place that will love us. After the funeral, when everyone has left and the emotions you've held at, at bay are coming crashing down on you, after the doctor says, I'm sorry, there's nothing more we can do, we need a place, we need a community, we need people around us, we need support, and after that last child honks the horn, they wave and they drive away, and the house is suddenly completely empty. We need a place. It's not good for us to be alone. And after that gavel goes down and you see your son or daughter or your spouse in handcuffs and they're led off to jail and they are led away and you don't know what happens next. You need a place to belong. And after the little baby arrives and you've been so happy about it, but now you are losing your mind. It's demanding more of you than you ever dreamed possible. 
Or maybe you just got the pink slip with your last check and you don't know what you're going to do. You need a place to belong. And I would submit to you, it's not your HOA. It's not. It's probably not your job. When people come to these places, what they need is a community of faith. They need the people of God with the love of God to be with them, to surround them, and we can do that. The problem is, in my experience in the last 10 years in particular, is that people are so isolated when they actually get to these moments in life, they don't know how to even ask for help. They don't even know anybody's name who they could call. They're not involved in a small group. They're not involved with people. They're, they're not active in the youth or children's ministry in a way that they actually know anyone. They simply come in, leave, think what they think, go. And when these horrible big things in life happen, it happens to all of us sooner or later, they want the church to respond, but they're not connected to any church in any meaningful way. Does it make sense to you? And people say, well, Mark, you should do something about that. Okay, I'm going to need some help. We've got to connect with one another. We've got to love one another. We need to be unified as the Father is in the Son and the Son in the Spirit. You say, well, what does that look like? The early church said it like this. It said, you know, God is flame. Jesus and God is flame to flame. Now, how many flames do I have? Do I have one or do I have three? Yeah, it's hard to tell, isn't it? The early church would say, Homoousios, the, the very essence of God, is like flame is to flame. How do you know when you have one? When, how do you know if you have three? How do you know? Because this very um, light of the world is to go to all kinds of places. And how do you know? It's amazing, isn't it? That the light of the world goes on and on. Like flame to flame. If we allow it to be so. If we allow that to burn in our hearts and our lives. Jesus says, you are to be one as the Father and I are one. And I think Thomas Merton gets at the, at the core of the problem. He says, the beginning of love is the will to let those we love be perfectly themselves. I think this is where we break down. Because we want to control other people. We want them to think like we think or do what we want them to do. And, and Merton says, no, no, no. The beginning of love is the will to let those we love be perfectly themselves. And that's what we see in God. That's what we see in Lord Jesus. He tells us what's good for us, but he allows our will. And, and the problem as a parent, of course, is we don't... We don't really want our children to be themselves. We want them to be little representations of us so that we live forever. We believe in reproduction. The problem is there's no such thing as reproduction. There's only production. Any of you all have kids in college or beyond, you know what I'm talking about. They simply are who they are. They have parts of you, but they're not you. Right? The resolution not to twist them to fit our own image. We're not doing idolatry, friends. We're doing love. Love. And, and the beautiful thing is, this God who allows us to make our own choices and is rooting for us all along is a God who prays for us. This is what Jesus says. As he steps away from the table, he's talking to God and he says, I'm praying for them. So, and what does Jesus pray? What does Jesus pray for them? What is Jesus praying for you today? Well, we'll, we'll check this out because it's really important. He says, in the world, you face persecution. But take courage. I have conquered the world. This is what he says right before the meal. So Jesus is praying, not the desperate prayer of someone like, oh, God, please help me out. I don't know what I'm going to do. No, Jesus is saying, I have conquered the world. I've done what you wanted me to do. I am obedient even unto death, and I'm facing the cross. I'm going that way. And then in this, in this conversation that the disciples, and we get to over here, he says, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world. No, it's not the Jim Gaffigan move. Not at all. Jesus says, we're going to be in the world, but I ask you, Father, that you guard them. Notice how weird this is, that now the disciples are them and Jesus is in first person with God the Father. 
that you guard them from the evil one. You see, we're going to be in the world and we're going to need guarding because evil is still in the world. In the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. We have a mission, friends. And that mission can be very difficult at times. And it is to live out the very character of Christ into the world. Mother Teresa, this is one of my favorite poems of all time. I hope you'll read um, the little tagline at each of one of these with me. She says it like this. People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Do what? Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do what? Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Do what? Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Do what? Be happy anyway. Really, it's okay. You can be happy. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have and it will never be enough. Give your best anyway. In the final analysis, it is between you and God. Say it with me. It was never between you and them anyway. It's about your character. It's about the character of Christ living in you. We are to be one as the Father and the Son are one. This is what we're to do. We are to be one as Jesus and the Father are one. This is what he says in, in, in verse 11. He says, Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be what, friends? One. As we are one. Jesus says, watch for the so that. He says, the glory that you have given me, I have given them so that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become what? Completely one. Here's the big so that. So that the world may know that you have sent me and I have loved them even as you have loved me. Friends, our unity, our oneness is a witness to the world. And what the world has been telling us for the last 20 years is I don't buy it. When I see Christians on Facebook crucifying other Christians, saying horrible things about other people within their own community, you can have it, and they're right. They're right about that. When they see that kind of nonsense, they're like, you know, I don't have to be a Christian to do that. I can do that as a pagan. Absolutely true. When this group fights against that group and says horrible things and demonizes them, yeah, we shouldn't have anything to do with that. Even within the church, it happens. No, we're, not, we're going to step back. And we're going to be one. We're going to love as Christ loved, and it's going to be about our character. When somebody hits us on one cheek, we're going to turn the other cheek. That's what Jesus says to do. When somebody says something ugly about us, we're going to make sure that what we say in return is kind and truthful and provably true. Not just true, but provably true. So that anybody watching knows what we're saying is true. And we're going to be people of love and forgiveness and mercy in a world that does not reciprocate. Whether it reciprocates or not, that's not our, our piece. Our piece is about character. It's not about us and them anyway, Mother Teresa says. It's about Christ living in us and us having the character of Christ in the world. And it is that character and that light and that transformation that transforms the world. So the question to us is, of course, what is our current witness to the world? If the world was looking at your life, what's your witness? Is it, something, is it winsome? Is it something people want to come into? And, and here's the great news, friends. We don't have to do it alone. Not at all. Not at all, because we have a God who empathizes with our weakness. Jesus came in human flesh, and what we find at the table is that even in his life and in his death and his resurrection, he is interceding for us. Friends, we are a community for whom Jesus prays. Think about that, that Jesus is praying for you. He knows everything about you, about your life, about your kids, about your marriage, about your work, about your fears, about your joys, and Jesus is right in front of the Father praying for you. He's like, Sally needs help with this, Father. Let's celebrate with, with Bob about this. 
We are a community for whom Jesus prays. And as, I, as you think about that, what does that mean? What does it mean for us to have a God that intercedes for us, that's rooting for us, that's pulling us forward, that, that, that enjoy is celebrating with us and lifting us up at our very point of need? And this is where it gets really exciting for me. How will you live differently knowing that Jesus is praying for you? You know that thing that seems impossible to you. That marriage that seems like it's over, those children that are so wayward, you can never find a way forward. Know that Jesus is on his knees before the Father with you, praying with you, interceding for you. And and friends, whenever Jesus prays, that's a big deal. Miracles happen. Life changes at the prayer of one who obeys the Father perfectly. We are a community for whom Jesus prays. and, and, And here's the thing that Candler Professor Gail O'Day says. She says, friends... Let's get this right. There is no one for us as community without the we of the Father and the Son in the Trinity. There's no one without we. This oneness that we, that we learn and yearn for comes from the we-ness of God, the, the perfect Trinity, the community living together. You'll notice that Jesus never on his own, Spirit never on his own, God the Father, the Son, the Spirit, always together. Always that same substance. You say, well, how are we going to live this out? Uh, for those of you who've been around here very long, this will not surprise you. Uh, on, on Friday, uh, I think you saw uh, this photo. If they can do it, we can do it. Incredible graciousness. And so, first of all, uh, regardless of your political affiliation, I want you to pray with me for the Obama family as they exit, for the girls, for their good and glorious life. This is God's will that we would be one, Right? For some of you, that'll be very difficult. Now, for others, that'll be really easy. I want you to pray for the Obamas. Now, who else is in the picture? Trump. So you know where I'm headed next, right? So who we're going to pray for, support, wish good things for, work with for the goodness of the world? The Trump family. Right? Some of you are looking down. Look up. Right? The Obama family and the Trump family, all children of God, rooting for them, praying for them, lifting them up. Because what's good for them is good for the world. When God is in somebody's life, that's good. And, and while we're at it, we might as well just raise it on up. We got to pray for this guy too. Seriously. He needs a shirt. But seriously. You got to pray for Putin. Got to pray for all the leaders. Because when God gets into somebody... Yeah, you got to take that down. That's just killing me. But, but you know, you got to pray for him. Right? Because it's good. Imagine what would happen if Jesus Christ was in the center of Vladimir Putin's life. Obama's life. Trump's life, the leader of China, North Korea, Iran, Iraq. Imagine what the world could look like if the very leaders of the world began to track with the love of God in a sacrificial way for the betterment of all humanity. Would that be a bad thing? No. So we ought to be eagerly working and moving towards this. And now, these aren't Jesus' words. These are Paul's words to Timothy. Uh, but he says this to the early church. He says, first of all, then, I urge you with supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings, be made for who? That's pretty inclusive for everyone, right? For kings, presidents, and all who are in high positions so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. That, I mean, wouldn't that be nice to have a quiet and peaceable life? This is right and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires how many to be saved? Everyone. That's God's will. That's God's heart. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, I would remind you that neither Obama or Trump were leading in this time. The leader at this time was a guy named Nero. Nero Augustus Caesar, who if he found out you were a Christian, would arrest you, beat you, dip you in wax, 
and use you as a torch at his next party by the hundreds. And this is the guy that Paul says to Timothy, make sure that we're praying for, interceding, giving thanks to God for kings and all who are in high positions because only God can change the world through the hearts of its leaders and its people. That's the power of God. It's the power of love. So um, maybe with me, for us to be able to pray for the people we need to pray for, we've got to read this every day, this week. Um, and and maybe, maybe that's not working for you. Um, you know, I've got some friends that say, um, hey, you know, I'm going to unfriend you if you post anything ugly or political. I wouldn't have any friends left. I mean, seriously, I'm just like, man, I'm following myself. So um, I want to invite you for the next seven days, for one week from now till next week, check in first of the church. But then after that, um, you know, uh, get off social media for the next seven days. I'm going to do that if you follow me on Insta or Twitter or Facebook. I'm going to be down for seven days. I'll be back on day eight. And when I'm back on day eight, I hope that I'll remember my journalistic ethics, which are, it's not say something if it's true, it's say if it's provably true. Is it kind? Is it helpful? Is it provably true? 